Well, turn with me to John chapter 14 and, and keep that teaching in mind. It, it's, uh, I don't know that it's overly academic, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful truth about the temple and, and the theme of the temple that runs throughout Scripture. And I think combined with the Christmas um, season and celebrating this idea of Emmanuel is uh, when reflected upon, when, when taken beyond just an academic teaching, is incredibly powerful and actually transformative. Um, in which, you know, most years people are thinking about how to be transformed, how to change, you know, this time of year, uh, New Year's resolutions. I haven't, well, I was thinking about that earlier, I haven't heard a word about New Year's resolutions this year. <laughs> I think everybody's just like, I just want to survive. Right, like I don't even, I don't even know what better looks like. Just keep surviving. Like this year's just, it's interesting. It's, I think it's just taking a toll on everybody. And maybe that's different for you. Maybe you do have your list of resolutions, nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of a theme around this time of year. Um, and and so I, what I what I always want to do is take an opportunity to reflect on uh, that that God indeed is after our transformation as well. But it's not in the form of self help. Hey, do better, try more this year, and maybe you'll get there. His plan is so much better. And that idea of temple, that idea of tabernacle that uh, combined with, and actually it's the same teaching of Emmanuel, right? That God has come to, to dwell with us. That that, that, that word dwell uh, actually means tabernacle, that, to come and tabernacle. It means to live amongst us as people. And we celebrate that and we think about that at Christmas, as we should. But then I, I think we're sort of, you know, Oftentimes, whether, you know, theologically we would probably affirm the fact that God is still with us, but I think practically we're thinking about, okay, yeah, he came to live as a, as a man, right, when he put on flesh, and we talked about that last week, and, and came and, and lived amongst us. Um, but it seems sort of short-lived, right? It's like, okay, well, he did that, but, but now, you know, we are back to sort of this, you know, more distant relationship with God. And again, most of us wouldn't affirm that verbally, but I think practically we sort of live as such. And so that's what I want to uh, take advantage of uh, this season and lean into, because last week we talked about glory incarnate. Emmanuel meaning glory incarnate, meaning if we think about uh, Jesus, we, before we think about him in the manger, we need to think about him as the creator of all things, the, the holy and righteous God that comes in full glory, that even when angels that have just been in his presence to serve him come up and show, and show up to humans, that there is fear, that there is trembling, and that there is a presence from that, that when Moses leaves the presence of God on the mountain, and he's not even beholding the fullness of God, but his face is glowing because there is a glory there. So when we think about glory incarnate, and, and that gives a different impact into Jesus entering in and, and coming in such humility in the manger. And, and so today I want to take that same idea and think about, okay, the fact that he is still here, the fact that it it's, wasn't just a short-lived thing, and even though he is physically ascended into heaven, uh, it's not an over and done with deal. It wasn't just that short-term deal. Indeed, Emmanuel is still with us, and what does that look like? And I want to keep that glory in mind as we talk about this as well. On this side of Christmas, it is still true that God is dwelling with us, and I think that that video helps you see exactly how. And again, you can reflect on that for days and, and, and be stirred to worship the fact that, that no longer is there a need for a physical temple. That's why we don't put a lot of emphasis on our building. That's why we have a running joke that you're in a pole building, right? Why? Because the temple is, is here and it's in you and, and you and you and you and you. And as we gather together, God's presence is concentrated. Uh, and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful teaching 
that the Bible gives us. And so uh, I, I want us to think about Emmanuel, God still with us. And I want us to, to use the passage from John chapter 14 to help do that. And I want you to think about the disciples because um, in, in, in John, uh, there's, there's much more um, writing given to, to the sort of the last, the Passion Week where Jesus is getting very explicit with his disciples and talking about the fact that he's going to die. And so really this is one of those pivotal moments whenever he begins to uh, have a lot of those conversations. He has alluded to it. He's even said it explicitly, but he's going to dive in and sit with them and teach them and prepare them for the fact that, that he's going to leave. And I want you to think about them. I want you to put yourself in the context of this passage of these disciples. Uh, these are men that have given their entire uh, existence over the last three years to following Jesus. We think about a disciple and we think about uh, rightly so. It, it's similar to a student, right? Someone who is, is learning, right? And, and learning to, you know, kind of master a body of truth and whatever. Um, and, and that's not untrue, but we miss part of it because we don't have the ancient context of what a disciple meant in these days. Uh, here's the deal. Other, other people, Jesus isn't the only one who had disciples. I don't know if you realize that. Like, there was a common thing in these days for rabbis and other teachers to have disciples, meaning that they were people who came alongside them to follow them and to set under their teachings and to master them to such a degree that they would become like their teacher, like their master. And so Jesus has his disciples, and he tells us to go and make disciples. Um, th there's a, a greater impact there. But I want you to think about these men who have given their life to that end, and they are, are trying to, to, you know, take everything that they can from Jesus. They've lived with Jesus, and, and that, was their, that was their goal, right? I want, you to, I want to read just briefly from, from Tim Keller talking a, a bit more about that. He says, modern students, we relate to teachers only sort of in this classroom setting, uh, we want information and expertise transfer, right? Like that's what we're thinking about with, with students, okay? And information and expertise, you're the, you're the teacher, you, you give that information to me. Ancient disciples were dedicated to an immersive, whole life-shaping, intense relationship with a teacher. So they became in every way like their teacher. We see in Luke 6.40 that uh, Jesus himself said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So they lived, they lived with their teacher, bringing every aspect of their lives into contact with him. And the goal for them was transformative learning, right? So a total new way of understanding reality, extensive character change, and a whole new way of life. So that is what the disciples had signed up for. That's what they had been experiencing. And I want you to imagine for the, like you're in that, that moment. You've lived these three years with Jesus. You've seen him do all of these things. You think he's headed toward this earthly throne to overthrow Rome, to restore the kingdom of Israel. Uh, you, you know, even though he's tried to, you know, correct that teaching, that's still what their hearts are, are longing for and leaning toward. And then Jesus starts talking about the fact that, hey, I'm actually not going to be here with you much longer. What would you be feeling in that moment? What would you be processing? How would you think about the future now? And, and now, in that context, hear these words from John chapter 14. We're going to read 15 through 17 and then stop and talk for a bit and then actually just look at the rest of it as, as part of our sermon and, and teaching and talking through it. And we'll read it fairly quickly at the end. But 15 through 17 uh, says this. If you love me, Jesus says, then you'll keep my commands. And this is right after the famous passage of, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and 
I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll come back. That's a famous passage. You hear a lot of funerals. Uh, this is, that's the context here. And Jesus is saying, hey, I, if, you know, Thomas says, hey, we don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, you do, because you know me, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so this is the context. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That, that, that if you notice, is capitalized is referring to the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive <clears throat> because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray. God, would you help us to uh, receive your word? We, we just want to declare that it is authoritative. It is your word, and we are your people, so we want to receive it appropriately, and we ask that you would help us to receive it with humility and to apply it with, through your spirit, uh, that we indeed may be transformed by a renewed understanding of you being present with us. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Spirit, to receive your word. Use me to that end and no other end, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so as we talked about last week, the, the, the fact that Jesus is the God who was there in the beginning, the God who made all things, right? Nothing was made without him, that he is the God who in um, the presence of, of him, no one can stand, no one can, we talked about the mountain, you can't even come near it. Uh, Isaiah, he knows that he's, he's doomed, that, that glory is incarnate in Jesus as this humble babe in the manger, and then he grows up to, you know, increase in wisdom and stature, and becomes a man, and he does ministry. And as he's doing that, that that's not an irrelevant season. I think sometimes we kind of think about like, you know, okay, you know, it's it's a great story at the beginning where he comes in at birth, and then it gets really good in the end, the last three years when he starts doing ministry. But it's not irrelevant those other thirty years within there or so. Uh, Jesus is 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 becoming, he's living out his humanity. That that it's not just this thing that he had to do to get to, that he's actually becoming um, and, and fully um, living out what the Bible says is he is the second Adam, right? And so I don't have time to unpack that fully, but there's this idea of our, fir you know, our first father is the one who sinned and we are all born into his nature of Adam. We're all like him. And, and Jesus comes to be the second Adam to, to actually redo humanity and actually to bring his imprint, his image back to bear on his creation, to restore the glory of creation. And so when he's doing that, he's, he's fully experiencing his humanity and, and he's fully experiencing what humanity is supposed to be. He's living that out, that the spirit was the one who conceived him, right? We, we read that in the story, that the, the spirit is the one who came upon and overshadowed Mary to, to conceive and to give birth to Jesus. And, and that spirit never left him and continued to um, empower all that he did. And so there's this crazy, um, you know, union between Christ and his humanity and Christ and his deity. And the role that the Spirit plays in that should not be overlooked, that Jesus himself was empowered by the Spirit, that the Trinity is at work in this incredible way through the incarnation. And so as Jesus lives out that life and as a human, then we get to his ministry where he is showing in full display all the glory, <clears throat> all the glory, all the truth, all the grace that God himself exhibits. It says that Jesus is the image of that, that he is, and no one's seen God, and yet he has made him known to us. And so that's who Jesus is, and, <clears throat> and he is coming 
to kill sin, to advance the kingdom, and, and that is his plan. He, he's, he knows he's headed to the cross. The cross is an accident. It's not a failed mission of, of this Savior. It is the mission of the Savior because he's coming to put to death sin, to put an end to death, and to bring salvation to his people. That is the glory of Christmas. And so that w- when we think about that, that, that he puts his deity um, wraps it in humanity. He doesn't stop being who he was. He doesn't stop being God, but instead he adds to it. He adds to his nature humanity. He adds to it flesh. And and when he does that, he is coming as a conquering king, one who is advancing the kingdom, conquering sin. And so that Jesus then is, is teaching these disciples, he's walking through, he's, expl- he's, he's displaying the power of God, he's teaching them to pray, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, he's teaching them to um, bring in people from the margins, to, to preach good news to the poor, to set the free, or set the oppressed free, he's going on and on and on, and showing what the kingdom of God, when it comes to bear on a people, showing what it looks like. This is why the gospels are so important, the gospels being the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're so important, they're not more important than the rest of the Bible, but they, they provide a, a core understanding of, of, of when we live up to our humanity, when we are, are what God intended us for us to be, we will be like Jesus was when he was there on earth. So we need to study those um, with a, a, an especial, or a, a special attention to what it means to be a human, what it means to be in the will of God. And Jesus is, is, has all that on full display. And then there's a bunch of hype, there's a bunch of excitement, there's a bunch of anger, right? There's a plot to kill Jesus. His followers think he's going he's gonna to pick a fight with Rome to overthrow them, to restore Israel. All that's coming to a head, and Jesus then pulls his disciples aside and says, hey, guys, actually, I'm going to be leaving. Okay, I want you to imagine the, what, what they're feeling in that moment of, oh, you called us to leave our nets, leave our tax booths, leave our incomes, and come and follow you as your disciples to become like you. Now now you're going to bail on us. Now you're going to leave us. And, and as you study the questions and you, you sort of lean into those moments in these stories, you, you feel that from the disciples. You feel Thomas going like, whoa, we don't know how to keep following you because we don't know the way. You say you're going somewhere, going to the Father. We don't know how to get there. And, and so there's very much a, a, an angst there. And yet Jesus says, hey, actually it's good news because if I go I'm going to send another, the helper, to be with you, even the spirit of truth. And so there is this uh, glorious truth in that what Jesus came to do was to make purification for our sins. We read that in Hebrews 1 last week, that he comes, that God spoke in many ways through prophets and angels previously, but in this stage, he came and spoke through his son. And then after making purification for our sin, he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so after making purification for our sin, that's what Jesus came to do, was to make purification for our sin. But guess what? His mission wasn't over after that. Because once he made purification for our sin, and by the way, he did that on the cross, you and I belong there. You and I are the ones who had sinned. The wages of sin is death. And you and I, I'm not speaking, I'm speaking generally about the whole of humanity. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and those who sin deserve death. So Jesus put himself in our place on the cross so he can make purification for our sins. And having raised back from the dead, he affirms, validates, and comes out victorious that all that he said that he was is, is indeed true. And now he's made purification for his sin. And it's not that his mission is over, but actually just beginning. So Jesus looks at the disciples and says, hey guys, you thought we were headed here. We're actually headed a different direction. And this whole thing is just about to get started. 
it's just about to get really good because in this form, Jesus is taken on flesh and he's, you know, in some ways limited by that flesh and he's in one place. Jesus says, hey, when I leave, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray to the Father and he's gonna send the helper. And the reason that's capitalized is because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about God coming to dwell, as the video said, once again with his people. And why can they do that? Why, why can that happen now? Because Jesus has, has made purification for sins. right? So we think about that, and I think we know all of that. Generally, if you've been in church for a bit, you know all of that. right? That Jesus came to make purification for his sins so that the Spirit could come and, and dwell in you. But what does that mean now? Like, What is he doing now? Is he is just, okay, so he's with us. He says, um, Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, and for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is saying, right now, the spirit of truth is, is in Jesus, is empowering Jesus. They're with Jesus. And he says, and it will be actually in you. And, and you look and, and you, you see later, Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem. He's going to send the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them and give them power. That's what we celebrate at Pentecost, that indeed that that is where tangibly and, and physically there were signs that the Spirit has indeed come to indwell all of his people. And it's this glorious truth. So what does that mean? Okay, he's with you. I think too often we just kind of write that off as this, this really, like it's a, it's a good, it's a comfort, right? It's this good thing. And it is, right? It is absolutely the Psalm 23. He is my shepherd. He, as I walk through the valley of shadow of death, that he is with me, his rod and his staff come for me. It absolutely means that, for sure, that as you're going through your junk, as, as life is hard for you, that, that God is present there with you to comfort you, to be near to you, to be um, binding up your broken heart. It absolutely means that, but it's not just that. And I think oftentimes we, we think, okay, we kind of have this cosmic life coach that, you know, all right, we'll go and we'll do what we can. We know what's right. We'll, we'll do it. And as things get hard, then we'll approach him, right? We'll come to him. Okay, what do I do about this? Or how do I approach that? Like, and we, we see him in this, this wrong light. But no, we want to continue to see him in all of his glory that he was and, and that he came and, and wrapped his flesh in. We want to continue to see that that is the Jesus that is now with us, that he is still the conquering Kingdom advancing lion of Judah, the king of kings who is after the glory that he deserves in the whole world, that that is who lives in us. That is who dwells with us now. And that it's good news that he is physically ascended because when he physically ascended, he sent the spirit to dwell within all of us because within those that are his, right? Because he's made purification for sins. Now our sins are removed from us and God can once again come and dwell with his people, indeed in his people. That is the good news of Christmas, that he remains with us, that we have something better than the physical body of Jesus. We have the, the spirit of Jesus, that the same spirit who empowered Jesus, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. It's an incredible thing that we can't just pass over quickly and acknowledge as a check mark in a theology. We need to reflect on this. We need to let it transform us. Jesus goes on. We're going to read the rest of this and, and make some observations as we go. He goes on to say in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. I want you to hear that. He's, Jesus is saying, hey, in a little bit. I'm not going to be here physically for the world to see, but you will still see me. Why? Because I live. Jesus is, is predicting his resurrection. He's saying, because I live, you also will live. That, that, that is the idea of eternal life, of living beyond just our flesh. And 
Can't unpack all that today, but this is incredible news. He says, verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Church, we, we just need to set in this, this truth, that, that, that Jesus is a part, he is the, the, the Trinitarian Son of God, and he's saying, and, and when all of this happens, when I'm resurrected, you'll know that I'm in the Father, and that you're in me, and I am in you. And he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. How, lo- how often have you longed for Jesus to manifest himself to you, to show himself to you? How many of you have, have wished that you could have seen Jesus physically, wished that you could see him turn the water to wine or to heal the, the sick or to perform the miracles? How many of you have longed for that and said, Lord, I just wish that I could have seen that? He says, listen, I'm going to continue to be with you and I'm going to manifest myself to you. Judas, not a scarlet, verse 22, said to him, Lord, how? Like, I got a question. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So this is a good question, right? You're, he's going, hey, I don't, like, we have a secret party. Like, how are we, how we doing this deal, Jesus? Like, how are you going to show just us but not the world? And Jesus goes on to say, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And he will come to him and make our home with him. Make our home with him. Church, you need, you, your heart should be stirred. You make our home with him is what he says that he and God and the Father are going to do. They're going to come to him and make their home with him. The temple will no longer be this physical place. It will no longer be this place where it is, God's presence is only there. He says, I'm coming to make our home with you and in you. This is incredible. Verse 24, whoever does not love me and does not keep my words, the Father... <clears throat> And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he says, listen, if people aren't in Jesus, if they haven't been saved, if they're not born-again Christians, they won't see Jesus as the true Son of God. They won't be led to worship him, follow him, be transformed by him, and live according to his word. Why? Because they don't see him as the, the living Son of God. And he says, this is, this is God's plan from the beginning. This is, Jesus says, these aren't my words, this is the one who sent me. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you that while I am still with you, but the helper, comma, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, but not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Church, we need that verse for all of 2020, and i got a feeling we're going to need it for 2021, right? That we need to know that Jesus leaves us with peace. But he says, but listen, you don't get to define peace on your own. You don't get to define peace by what the world says would be peace, right? I have my own peace that I'm giving to you, and it is, it is my peace. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because we now have a salvation that transcends whatever's happening here on earth. We have a hope that is beyond whatever's happening in elections and in pandemics and all of the chaos that is, that is dividing us and is, is stirring up strife all around us. We have something that transcends that, and his name is Jesus, and he has conquered death, so sin, and the grave, and he has a kingdom that is not of flesh and blood, and we have a hope beyond all of this. In verse 28, he says, you've heard me say, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced 
because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. This is, this is incredibly specific. It's an incredibly awesome that Jesus is telling his disciples this. We read all this knowing the end of the story, right? You come to Christ. Um, if, you, if you truly come to Christ, you come to a, a resurrected Christ. You know how the story ends. These guys don't know yet what's about to happen. They don't know that Jesus is headed for the cross, and then after the cross, he's headed for a grave, and then after a couple days in that grave, he's coming back to life. They don't know all of that yet, but Jesus is telling them this, and he's saying, hey, I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you will believe. Verse 29, I've told you, well, we just read this, verse 30, sorry. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Jesus knows his battle is about to begin or is about to culminate fully with Satan. The ruler of this world is coming. Jesus says this, and this is so important to disciples who are about to watch their Savior, their Messiah, go to a cross. And they're not going to understand it. They're not going to understand why it looks like he's being defeated. But Jesus says this, he says, listen, he has no claim on me. This is good news. Jesus says, listen, the ruler of this world is coming. We're going to do battle. You need to know he has no claim on me. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. Church, this is a Savior who is in full control, as we talked about earlier before we sang that song. This is not somebody who's just taking a swing at it to see if it's going to happen. He knows exactly how this is going to go down. And he says, listen, it's, it's not going to make sense to you. You're going to feel like darkness is winning, but you need to know Darkness has no claim on me, and I'm doing exactly what God has commanded me to do so that the world may know that I love the Father. And as we'll see elsewhere, that the world may know that the Father loves us. This is what Jesus is about doing. It, it, his, his, his birth and then later his death and his burial and his resurrection are about launching his kingdom. And, and his kingdom is, is continuing to advance. That's why he hasn't come back yet. That we need to understand the advents of Christ, the coming of Christ, that, that we live in between the two, and that as we talked about last week, he's coming again to fully inaugurate and, and consummate his kingdom, and he'll do away with all that is evil just by bringing his glory to bear. And only those who have been saved by the blood of Christ will be able to behold him. The rest will be incinerated and done away with because he is that incredible and he is that glorious and so we need to understand that what's happening right now is not this passive God with you, meaning, okay, hey, you go do what you want, and when you need me, just call me. When you need me, you, you call on me, right? And I don't want to minimize that. You should absolutely call on him when you need him, okay? But what I'm saying is we need to acknowledge him as Lord and as King. And as Lord and King, he has an agenda. He has a mission. He's in control. He's the boss. And what he's doing is he's going to continue to kill sin. He's going to continue to do away with anything that is not under his kingdom. And he's going to advance and conquer. But that's who lives within us. So what does this mean? It means that as we think about Christ with us, Christ continuing to dwell with us, that Christ, the true Christ, the, 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 the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our culture, not the Jesus we've made up in our own minds, but that Jesus, he's the Lion of Judah, he's the conquering King of Kings, he's the Jesus of Revelation 19 coming back on a white horse to, 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 to do away with all that is unrighteous, it's that Jesus that dwells within us. And guess what? He's not safe. He's not to be pandered to. He's not to be set over to the side and just called upon when we need him. No, no. He is to be submitted to and followed fully 
to the point that we are becoming like him, that we are, are, are surrendering all that we have like the disciples were called to do to become like him, that, that it wasn't bad news for the disciples in their mission to become you know, fully like their rabbi. It wasn't bad news that Jesus was leaving. Jesus is saying, hey, it's actually really, really good news because when I leave, I'm gonna send the Spirit to empower you. And guys, this is connecting so many dots in the Old Testament, right, that Jeremiah has prophesied that, 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 that one day, that God prophesied through Jeremiah that one day he was going to write, he was going to take out his people's heart of stone, and he was going to put in a heart of flesh, and he was going to write his commandments there on their heart of flesh instead of on the stones of the Ten Commandments where they had to submit to him externally. He says, hey, hey, you got a heart of stone. Here's my commandments. You're never living up to them. It's always leading to death, and we're going to swap that out. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. You're going to be born again, and in that heart is going to be my commandments, meaning that we're gonna desire to follow him now. We're gonna have a desire inwardly to become like him, to be transformed, that that the same spirit that empowered Christ now lives in us and he takes that imprint, that mold of Jesus and all of his religious activity, all that he did, all of the following, uh, everything that his father said, his, his prayer, his power, all of that is now what we are becoming, is what he is making in us, that, that we are becoming like him, that that is the deal, that is the goal. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, he's talking to his church, he says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Formed in you. God with you, Christ with you, Emmanuel, means Christ is making you to become like him. Christ is making you into himself. That one day, it says in 1 John, that we will be made like him, we will be transformed, we will be actually like him. That that's where we're headed, and the process is active now, and it's not just this call upon him whenever you, you need him, whenever things get hard, whenever you realize you can't do it. No, no, no. It's a daily pursuit. We should be totally, daily, immersing ourselves to every, every bit of our life should be in contact with Jesus and asking Jesus to make us like him, because that is indeed what this Savior is doing, is restoring the glory of his image on the world that he made. So, as you think about this year, as you think about Christmas being, you know, the season being over, if you will, the truth isn't set aside, right? We shouldn't only pick up the truth of the incarnation at Emmanuel in December, Right? But the season is over, and as we're moving into next year and you're reflecting on life, here's what you need to remember, that, that Jesus, God, is still with you. And that the Jesus that is with you is the Jesus of the Bible, and the Jesus of the Bible is the conquering Lamb of God, the conquering King of kings. So what does that mean? As you see... Take us back to uh, verse 26. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Think about the teachings of Christ. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Think about the parables. Think about all that he's taught us about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Those aren't just like get to him when you can or hopefully... No, this is what he's working in us. This is what he's stirring in us is to become like him. That's what he's been doing with his disciples, and he's not finished just because he's ascended. In fact, he's, he's entering into a new uh, level of this relationship where he's going to actually indwell them and, and empower them from the inside out to be transformed to 
live out all the things that he taught. And he's gonna, the Spirit's going to bring remembrance. So this is, a, this is what we call sanctification. And oftentimes we just think about like, yeah, as we go, we need to be becoming more like Jesus. But this is an active pursuit of our Savior, an active will that he is accomplishing in us by living within us. He's continuing to kill sin, pursue holiness, right? That's part of the reason we think about change and desiring to have resolutions. But, but here's the deal. Whatever you're thinking about, you need to be better at. What you actually need is worship. Okay, you may be thinking, okay, I want to I eat better. I want to lose weight. I want to exercise more so I can live longer. I want to stop, you know, watching so much of this news channel so I don't hate everybody. I want to stop, you know, um, getting all hung up on this or that. I, whatever, you know, I want to save money. Or you fill in the blank as to what, you know right now, like what's, what's not great about your life and how you should be fixing it. But, and, and those things are, are okay to pursue. But here's the deal. Here's what you need to put under and, and, and below them as the foundation. Worship. Worship. And what do you mean? What do you mean just come to more worship services? Well, that, that's always a good thing, but worship, meaning beholding Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that now with unveiled face, because Jesus has made purification for our sins, now with unveiled face we are able to behold Jesus. And as we do that, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. That that is how we change. If you pursue change for any other reason and by any other means, you might get it, but it's not going to lead to holiness. It's not going to lead to wholeness. It will just lead to a different struggle and a different sin and maybe pride. If you get better, you lose weight, you look better, you save money. You know, it'll run itself to some other terrible course, but what you actually need is to worship, meaning we read the Bible. Meaning the flame of the Spirit exists within us, and it will not go out, right? Those who belong to Christ will always belong to Christ. Nobody's going to pluck, pluck us from his hands. Nobody's going to separate us. So the flame of Christ is within you. But you have an opportunity to put wood on that fire. You have an opportunity to see that become a flame that, that maybe is, is minimal, although it's there, into an overwhelming drive and desire to give all that you have to him. How do you do that? Well, you put logs on that fire by opening up this thing called a Bible, right? You put logs on the fire by coming to church. You put logs on the fire by coming to community group. You put logs on the fire by, by praying and not just praying, giving your list, but praying and then listening, right? Getting alone with God, having a discipline about yourself where you, you recognize, okay, the Lord is with me. Like if Jesus was present here, like the lines, just like they were in the Bible, right? would be so long, right? The crowds would be huge. Why? Because, hey, this is the guy that has the answers. This is the guy that has the power. Let me bring my questions to him. Let me ask him. Let me bring my needs to him. Let me bring my ailments to him, right? That's what we would do if he was here physically. What this is saying is he's here physically and he's in you, right? That he's, he's there with us. So acknowledging that, that Jesus is with us means we come to him with all that we got. We come to him with all that we are and we regularly sit with him, ask him, what would you have me do? We surrender to him and we expect him to use us to advance his kingdom. So what that means is his, his kingdom, real, real quick as we close, Jesus is with you and he's still advancing his kingdom. And that means in you and through you. In you means he's coming for your sin. That he loves you. That the sin that still remains, he's pursuing. That he's, he's going to continue to put to death the deeds of the flesh. As you look at a passage like Colossians chapter 3 or Galatians 5, where you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, 
Like that, that's what that means is as, the, as the, the spirit dwells within us, we begin to bear fruit accordingly. And the fruit of the spirit looks different than the fruit of the flesh. Colossians 3 says this, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, meaning sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away, all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. If you didn't have a New Year's list, here you go, right? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. See to it that you put on the new self. I'm going to say that again, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is in you. And as a result, you should be coming more like Christ, period. So you need to take an honest look and, and ask some honest questions that if you were to ask the people around you, hey, when you think about me a year ago, two years ago, five, ten years, do you see me becoming more like Christ? Have you seen me becoming more like, you probably won't even have to ask them. If you're just honest with yourself, you can answer these questions, right? Think about that. Have, am I becoming more like Christ? Am I becoming more loving, more selfless, more patient, more gentle, more kind, more disciplined, more holy? Am I becoming more like Christ? Am I increasing in my submission to Christ? Meaning, am I more submitted to him in my will and my desires and my, my daily routines? Am I more submitted to Christ than I was in the past? And if not, the answer isn't, you're right, I gotta try harder, do better, I gotta make a list, I gotta get up in the morning. The answer is to worship. That's the good news. That Jesus never says, you know what? I've been waiting on you to get it together. You about ready to do some work? Figure it out and we can get to the kingdom work. No, no, no. Jesus says, hey, the kingdom work, I'm at work in you. I'm coming after you. I love you. We're going to do away with the sin. We're going to kill it together. What do, you, what, do you need to, what do I need to do, Lord? Worship. What do I need to do, Lord? Look at me. What do I need to do, Lord? Look at me. Because why? When you look at him, his glory burns off all the other imperfections. It burns off all the other desires. Your affection for him increases, and therefore your desire and affection for sin decreases. But that's how we change. That's how we're transformed. This is good news, church. This is the hope that the world needs. Right? It's not found in some other theory or some other, you know, I mean, you just watch TV and there's always, there's a, there's a pill for everything. There's a, there's a new diet plan, an exercise plan. There's a, there's a social justice movement. There's all these things. But what the world needs is to know that in Jesus we are changed. In Jesus we are transformed. And in Jesus we have hope that transcends. That's the good news of Christmas, that he came to enter into our mess, and he hasn't left us in our mess. He sent the Spirit to come and live within each one of us. And then the good news is that he's, he's not only advancing his kingdom in you, but he's also advancing his kingdom through you. So Christ in you, Christ with us, Emmanuel, God's still with us. What does that mean? It means that as you go, you're taking Christ with you. Where are you going tomorrow? Going to work? Maybe you got some time off, but where do you spend your time? School? Work? In your home, right? If you're a homemaker, this is such good news. That's such hard work. 
right? Even, even if you're not in the home during the day, when you come home, right, and you're tired, but your kids still need you and your family, your wife, spouse, your, like, needs you, what, what, Christ is with you. And Christ is in you. And you're showing Christ to them. You have an opportunity to, at least, that, you are, that Christ is working in and through you, that as you do what you do, he wants to advance his kingdom in and through you. In, meaning you sin less, you become more like Jesus. And through, meaning you are the avenue, the, the tool, the conduit by which he wants to reach other people and advance his kingdom even further. The King of Kings has come and made a way, and he still dwells with us. Emmanuel, God with us. But we need to have the right definition of who God is that's dwelling with us. We have a right definition and a right view of who this God is. It will change how we approach our life. It will change how we do what we do. It will change what we do and why we do it because he is the God of glory. He is the God of salvation, and it is transformative that he extends grace to us. Let's pray. God, would you help us to not just hear this word and not just acknowledge that indeed you are here, but would you help us to be changed by it? Would you help us to grow in our our relationship with you to the, to the degree that we understand that you are not just with us in some passive way to, to pat us on the back and cheer us on in our own mission, but you have came to conquer and you have come to use us to work in and through us to advance your kingdom, Lord. May we surrender to that. May you have your way in this place, both now, presently, Convict us of sin, challenge us, send us out. And then, Lord, as we go, as we are sent, as your church scatters from this place in a bit, Lord, may you be on display and may you conquer through us. May you use us to advance your kingdom. Help us, Jesus. We need it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, the altar's open.